0: For you, dear listener, I imagine menopause is a long way off. This conversation is our looking glass event that will give you a sneak peek into the bountiful riches that await you when it's your turn to transition. It's not scary. It's a deep sigh. And we are here to ensure your next breath empowers you for the next half of your life.
1: I always had an instinct that I would get better with age. At 20, I was looking forward to turning 30. On my 30th birthday, I was eagerly looking forward to turning 40. Throughout the period of my life, I dreamt about what life would be like in my 50s. And at 55, I looked forward with excitement to turning 60.
0: I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, the Awabakal people of the Awabakal tribe, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Faith Agugu is my guest today, and to set the scene for what you're about to receive during this interview, let me just say one word. Queen.
1: Oh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Susan.
0: It is my greatest honor. Seriously, I think I mentioned before the podcast, I was a little bit nervous because I so admire you. And I first met you, of course, at your inaugural Silver Siren event. And I have to say, you blew my mind. So at the end of the day, I cried so much because I felt that there was such a huge weight lifted from my shoulders. I just didn't realize that there were two ways that you can be. You can be a dark crone or you can be your way, which is to reinvent yourself, to rise and shine. So your Silver Siren community is divine, and I first want to say thank you for bringing that into the world. And I suppose my first question to you is what inspired you to start the Silver Sirens?
1: Thank you. So I would like to also start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which I get to call home. The Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging, and to acknowledge the sovereignty was never and will never be ceded. Beautiful. So to answer your question... Why did I start Silver Sirens? Such a great question, great place to start. I'm an entrepreneur, visionary, and a psychotherapist. I own my crust by being a psychotherapist. And in my private practice, over a period of time, women were being referred to me that were struggling with the aging process. And there was a common theme of dread, fear, a real sense of I'm losing my value now that I'm aging, real fear of I'm losing my looks, I'm turning gray, I'm getting wrinkles, I'm losing my figure. so there was just this patterning of fear and aging, and this was something that was quite new for me, you know, so I didn't associate aging with something negative, so hearing these women over and over again, and obviously their concerns were real they were very they were in pain so as a therapist i'm I'm listening to them i'm, I'm empathizing with them as much as I can. But that was not my lived experience. So the role models in my life were my mother and my elder sisters. My mother, you know, her life changed at 50. Between 50 and 75 were, without a doubt, the best years of her life. Mm. And I saw that. And plus, culturally, I'm an African woman. And, you know, my culture will revere and respect the elderly and everybody wants to get older because they want respect. So I didn't internalize Western belief and the Western negative narrative around aging. I'd never internalized that. So I hadn't taken it on. So in my practice, I saw that a lot of women had internalized it and it was really making their lives miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, I so haven't worked with these women for a while and support them to navigate through their fears around aging. I realised that we needed to do something about it. I needed to do something about it. And I wanted to create a platform where I could offer and present an alternative narrative. You know, like it didn't have to all be downhill from now, you know, which is everything those women thought it was. And it was working with me was the first time they were being offered an alternative narrative. Oh, wow, you don't have to believe that. You can think this. It's like, yes, and half the world do. Half the world our positive brand aging. after the world are looking forward to aging. You know, it's not everyone and it's not a given. So that was my inspiration to start, you know, the Silver Sirens movement.
0: When I went to your first inaugural event, that's when I realised, I went, oh, my goodness, didn't feel really respected as a 54-year-old. Nobody cares. Nobody nobody does anything for me anymore. I mean, I feel as if I'm invisible in the marketplace as well, like you're too old for certain things you can't wear certain clothing you can't wear certain makeup you've got to make sure you do this you've got to do anyway that's why you are unique in this space truly faith you really are which is why my listeners they are between 25 and 35 40 because they all have cycles and I speak a lot about yeah. cycles and how women can navigate the hormonal changes within their body on a physical and psychological level but we don't talk about menopause because I think that they don't need to hear it, but you know what? I think they do, and that's why you're here.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and you
1: sure. know it's when I hear you say that that i I think they don't need to talk about menopause, and you know, I guess what I hear is that there's so much negativity again attached to menopause, it's it's that horrible dark secret that we we're we're hushed, we speak in hushed tones about Mm -hmm. and that you were at the inaugural of of the Sirens event so you know that that was one of the topics we absolutely spoke about we shouted from the rooftop because I want to normalise that for women, there is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of or something Mm -hmm. that's such a natural part of our bodies cycle
0: Yes, yes. I just love it, I love it So, Faith, reading your bio, you've always been motivated by service. Your first job after leaving school was working as a volunteer in a not-for-profit organisation in London with children with troubled backgrounds. So, how old were you when you did that?
1: Oh, I was about
0: 18. 18? Okay, that's young, isn't it? Like, to be working for a not-for-profit organisation at 18, I mean, that must have been a real, something that really inspired you. Like, what sort of work was it that you were doing with these
1: children? Yeah, look, I was straight out of school and, you know, I could have gone straight into, as my peers were all getting jobs or going to uni, and I knew that that wasn't for me at that time. So, for me, seeing the disadvantages in our community, just one of those things I find it difficult to turn away. I Mm. find it difficult to turn a blind eye. Mm. And, you know, there was this particular not-for-profit in an area in London and these children's children were usually neglected. So our job was really to be like support, but also like mentors for them and oh, to model nice. for the healthy, yeah, and to model healthy adult relationship with them. So we might have been the few adults that they interacted with in a healthy way. So we were giving them a modeling for them that there was healthy adults and alternative ways to be around adults a lot of them were hyper vigilant Mm. scared they felt unsafe they the adults they had in their lives were unreliable you know so we had to kind of model that consistency showing up for them being there for them really engaging with them really really holding and being present Mm. because what they know that what children need more than anything is not the physical presence we don't need physical things we need the presence of the adults around them, you know. So our job was really to be there in a consistent way with them and sometimes we'll just go off and hang out with them and the whole day even go into their school with them and be like their buddy for the day or sometimes we'll go with them to go and do shopping or to go and do things. But we'll just be that adult, the, the, the you know, the gap that their parents left, we will step into
0: for that. Wow. And at 18, that, that's amazing. That's wonderful. So how long did you stay with that Particular program?
1: I was with that for about 18 months. It wasn't a huge amount of time. It's choosing not to go into paid work and just wanting to really explore that part of life, Mm, you know. So it was mm. about 18 months. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Okay. Shifting gears now, reading your bio. Tell me more about your five-year modelling career in London, and how did that segue from working for a not-for-profit organisation to a model?
1: I was a model in London for about five years, but I've been a model for such a long time. So when you say five years, I'm going which five years? But yeah, (laughs) so I was model in London actually for much more than five years. Actually, I think from the age of 16 till I left. Um, I started modelling at 16, and I left London at about the age of 25. So. About nine years as a model, as, oh. a, as a catwalk model. Okay. Yeah, and then I came to Australia, then I continued modelling. So I modelled for about 30 years altogether. Oh, um, goodness. So, yeah. So the starting off in London, you know, I was part of a group of young designers who, um, there was like a collective of young designers, and I started modelling with them. You know, from that, I really, I loved it. I loved catwalk. And for me, catwalk was like an opportunity to kind of put on a different persona. And, you know, it was like this this part of my personality that got expressed when I was catwalk, and I really liked her. She wasn't someone that was going to come out all the time, you know, but I really liked her. She was fun. She was playful. She was cheeky, you know. So catwalk allowed me to express a particular part of my personality, which, yeah, it's quite, which usually remains quite dormant.
0: Oh, for sure. I think that's probably where... Your, your, your confidence or your courage about moving into your 50s, how you embrace it, because being a model for 30 years, you have to have confidence doing that. And the, with the whole beauty industry and how you can move and you can crash some of the stereotypes of what it is to be a woman and to be older, because for me, before I met you and before I went to Silver Sirens, I was actually on a bit of a depressed downhill slide i was in a lot of pain i was eating a bit too much and i was drinking too much and i was watching netflix too much and i was thinking that my life was over i was in the bookkeeping industry for 35 years i had my own business i, I just thought I thought is that it i mean i've been wanting for so long to change my career and and i was so inspired because you did i mean we'll talk about that later but i mean turning 50 is not the end it is actually the beginning if you look at it and that's what that's what you've done is like Reinventing yourself is what I'm telling you about. After twenty five years in the fashion industry and approaching her fiftieth birthday, Faith felt the call to return to helping others and took time out to study for a bachelor degree in social science, majoring in counseling. Faith launched her new business, The Healing Process, where she offers counseling, energy healing, and mindfulness coaching to women tackling the challenges of midlife. So women who are just transitioning, you know, from 38, 39, 40, what do they ask you in your sessions?
1: Yeah. Look, first of all, they come along, and I always, want, I always start to preface this, people don't usually go to therapists if everything's going great, yes. you know. So I always like to make that clear. So I get to see people that are having struggling with whatever the areas of their life. So this is not to say that, Everyone is struggling, you know, and I really want to make that point. But I get to see women when they're in that place of struggle and, and where usually all of their best ideas have run out, all of the, the tools and tactics and resources they've used before is no longer working. So they're at a, a juncture, you know, and traditionally um, it can be referred to, it has been referred to as a midlife crisis, I do not believe it's a midlife crisis, I believe it feels like a midlife crisis because we do not talk about it enough and women don't have enough blueprints or role models or people to mm. reach to, to have this conversation. So a lot of the time the women are struggling um, with these feelings on their own, you know, and I don't want to tell anybody they're feeling bad about themselves and they're struggling on their own, so they usually, when they get to my door they've been struggling for a long time and they're really quite overwhelmed. They're quite, yes. They've quite lost a lot of hope and faith, yes. you know, so they come. And usually the first thing they want to know is, is this normal? It's like, you know, honestly, it's just normal. They tell me their story, you know, and they are typical. They are normal. And then, so they usually, is, is this normal? Mm. And when I say yes, you can see the relief on their faces. Mm. It's like not to undermine or minimise what they're going through, but you are in an, a natural, physical, emotional and spiritual developmental phase of life. Mm. The same as if you're going through a teenager, that first bit of puberty. It's just another normal developmental phase of life. Yes. And it's just, there's so much taboo and silence and shame around it. You know, the the woman that's going through it has a lot of self doubt about what's going on. So, so where, I, do
0: you, where do you think that faith and self doubt come from? Because, like, is it because of the, our society itself? Like you had mentioned before about how in, in your country, like you respect you respect your elders, you you pay homage to them. We don't, and so therefore yeah. we're looking at this. Like my mum has passed, and so I don't even have a mother to ask. And she never talked about menopause at all. She never talked about... But she was cranky in her 50s. She was cranky. I didn't know why, and she didn't want to tell me. And and, and at the end of the day, I got really angry with her because she was just complaining all the time and she wasn't doing anything about it. Because we didn't know... And how much I would have loved to have honoured her more, I should say. I loved her dearly. But to honour her and to respect her and to hold her up, like other cultures do. And And that's what I think I love about Silver Sirens is that you're teaching this generation is coming up to honour our elders and so that their transition is not as bad because they feel loved and they feel respected and they feel as if they've got something that they can still contribute to the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so your, your initial question was where does this come from? And mm. you're absolutely right. It, it's a cultural thing and I think it's, you know, in the, the Western culture um, absolutely favours youth. You know, and puts youth on a pedestal, mm-hmm. and 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 literally, and, and aging on in the on the opposite. You know, so when you have a culture that says you're only as valuable as how productive you are, you know, and as women because of patriarchy, um, our values around our looks and our childbearing. So when we lose that, we don't have value. So when you mm-hmm. have a society that's judging people on how productive they are and their output and their physical appearance when you have that then it goes to shoulder when those people start to lose those qualities that then then you know they're told that they're less valuable so we internalize that ageism you know that's something that's not the case in my culture you know you never would judge a person just based on the way they look You know, I always, even as a model, I struggled with that because it was hard for me to understand that there was so much value being put on my looks more than my personality. It was so foreign for me that my looks was more important than my personality to people, you know. Mm -hmm. And I speak to other African models and we just kind of scratch our heads because our personalities and who we were was the thing that was most valued. So when you're living in the Western world when that's the structure, that's a construct, Mm -hmm. and you start to lose that, of course you will feel like there's something wrong. Of course you will feel despair because Mm. you've been trained all your life that that's what your value is. Mm. You know, so I'll say that's what... And the thing is, you know, I say Western model. And I think it's important for... When we think about the Western model, I think for a long time, the West has had so much power that there's almost kind of like, this is the only way that you can do it. This is the right way. And I think it's really important for the West... For people in the West to kind of know there's lots of other ways of seeing the world, you know, that are are less traumatic for people, you know, uh, more holistic, Mm. you know. Mm. So that's why I'm I'm, I'm so grateful. I feel like this is a gift because of my unique perspective in Australia. Obviously, if I'm in Africa, it's not a unique perspective. Everyone thinks that way. But as a woman who has lived in Australia for 30 years, this is something I can gift my Australian sisters Mm. is this new perspective Mm. of how we can look at this, you know, Mm. and how we view the last, the next 20, 50 to 80. Most of us are going to live to 80. That's 30 years. We could waste that worrying about our wrinkles, worrying about Mm. um, our figures, worrying about our lack of value. We we can actually waste that time Mm. or we can shift and we can go into service, and we can take up our role as Elders, and we can support our community through, yes. because of our lived experience.
0: What you just said then was so true, take up our role as Elders, and that's where we have to step up and do that. And so for me, Faith, I don't sort of sometimes feel that I have the right to step up as an Elder because sometimes I feel so naive and so childish and so inadequate or inexperienced, and then I wake up and I go, oh, my God, see, so you're fifty-four you're an elder you have so many years before you so it is it is a belief system it's my belief system of my my beliefs and stuff like that i'd like to address my beautiful listeners who are in their 30s what what's one thing that you could help them with now it's another 20 years before they're 50 but what could they do now in preparation like what could they read what could they do what what could happen to them now that they could prepare for their eventual transition is there something that you can share with your little wisdom
1: yeah i would say don't buy into the narrative mm. don't buy into the narrative that women your value is just on your physical appearance and just on your youth just don't buy into it mm. you know there's a lovely lots of research shows and this is something about women research shows that Men tend to be overconfident about their ability while women are overly underconfident <laughs> about their ability. That's yes. a real thing. So yeah. we have a natural yeah. thing to really sell ourselves short as women, you know. And I would just like to say to you in your 20s, my beautiful, beautiful sisters in your 20s and 30s, do not buy into it and do not waste your time. Live your life fully in your 20s, live it fully in your 30s in your 40s knowing that it's not over the best is still to come gather up all those experiences every single one of them whether you think it's bad or you felt. gather up every single one of them because all of those is what's going to really hold you up in your 50s and 60s you know that's the gems that you will get to give back in, in the form of wisdom to the people around you so gather up every single bit of, of experience whether it feels good bad, frightening Jump into it, live
0: it, do it, you know? Oh, that's great advice. Thank you, Faith. Thank you so much. So one inspiring aspect of the Silver Siren events is the elders' interview at the end of the day. Uh, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) sensationally. So you bring to everyone's attention the disadvantages experienced by our Indigenous community in a way that envelopes us all, not just pointing fingers and demanding change, but simply bringing awareness to the divide that we have. I recall going to the ladies' room, and this just makes me cry every time I I remember it, but I went to the ladies' room, and one of the Indigenous Elders was washing her hands next to me. I turned to her, and I just said, I'm so sorry for being so ignorant. And I'm standing there with my hands wet from after <laughs> going to the toilet. I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so ignorant. And she just grabbed me, like, as women grab each other. She just grabbed Mrs. this is before COVID, of course, grabbed me, held me, and, like, I could smell her hair. I was really soft. I was wafting in my face. I was actually eating it. I'm going, and, and she said, it is not for you to be sorry now. It is for you to take action. So bring our plight to the light, basically. Respect the land and rise within your own power. And when she said that, rise up and be our sister yeah. and stand beside us. We, yeah. we are equal. We just want everybody else to know about that. And, yes. oh, and that was so empowering so I, I also want to thank you for I suppose bringing to light an opportunity for us to meet all of us the indigenous women and us white chicks to get together and wrestle, it's wonderful and I just love you so much for that, thank you
1: <laughs> my pleasure
0: my pleasure when did you realise you were powerful <laughs>
1: I love this question you know depending on what what time of day you know or when you you catch me you know some days I don't feel powerful you know some days I really don't feel powerful but you know to answer that when I really got that sense of my power I would say in my 40s you know again it's that sense of I knew that I was getting better you know and in my 30s I, I I went through probably my toughest time in my life in my 30s and then a little bit in my early 40s you know mm-hmm. so I think in my 40s was when I really kind of understood that thing of that you, we try so hard to please other people we try so hard to fit into other people's image and expectation of ourselves and we could do this and do this and do this and still not please them and I think something happened in my 40s that I just kind of went if I'm not going to please them anyway, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just please myself. And that was so liberating to actually get that, to really, really get that. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, I haven't even answered that question for myself yet, but it was a question that I thought, yeah, every woman should know. What was the most pivotal lesson you have learned from a mentor?
1: I can remember her name is Winsome. can't remember her surname, but I remember the business that she had. And when I first started Royal Fashion Agency um, about 17 years ago, I wanted to have a mentor. And I actually wanted to have a black woman as a mentor because being black in in Sydney is something very unique. And unlike the Indigenous Australians, we do get treated very differently, Um, not good or bad, but very differently. And it was something that I wanted to have a mentor that had the same experience navigating business in Australia. So she was an amazing mentor for me. But what I learned from her most of all was that thing about you don't have to wait for the fear to dissipate before you take action. You know, I think before that I had this thing that I've got to do whatever I can to let the fear go, to make the fear go away. Once the fear was gone or died down, then I could jump in. But she taught me that we move ahead in spite of the fear. And we learn to live, you know, do what we've got to do while still being petrified. Yes, you know? And yes. that's the biggest gift. And when yes. I was doing, you know, Silver <laughs> Sirens, you know, I was very vulnerable, I was very transparent in that first year and I shared my fear, how frightening the process was for me, you know. And mm. in that time, you know, when I was preparing for it, I was watching so much Oprah, so much Brene Brown, so much Marilyn Willis. I was listening to women that kept saying... The fear doesn't go away. Every time you stretch or you reach for the next things, you know, to grow yourself, they, the fear will be present with you. Mm. Learn to live with it, you mm. know. And that was so crucial because even this time preparing civil sirens, oh, my God, the fear is my best friend. She's right there next to me. We have a chat. Okay, I'm freaking out. It's fine. What do you need from me? So it's now not something I'm pushing away with before. I pushed it away because I thought it was wrong that I'm feeling fear or I felt yeah. ashamed that I was feeling fear. Yeah. I should have it together. I shouldn't be feeling fear. Now it's my best friend. The fear just comes along with me. And it's an indicator that this is really important to me. Mm. This project is so important to me. I'm so passionate. That's what the fear indicates to me. You yeah. know? So it's such a useful part.
0: Love it. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you about what the meaning of spirit means to you.
1: Yeah, it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful question and when i think about spirit, you know, like i just it's like i tap into the most beautiful, pure, wholesome part of my 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 essence, you know, the part of my essence that's not been marred or tainted by the physical, the human experience you know, mm. the human experience can be very jarring for souls I believe we're souls, I'm certainly a soul you know, and I believe we consciously take, uh, make the decision to take on sp- um, physical bodies because I believe that we as souls want to learn and expand and, and it seems like fun and games when we're doing it in soul world, when we come into physical body and it's so hard and we just go, can I, <laughs> I can't believe I agree to, do, to come into a physical body, I think it's tough you know So I think soul is that part of us that is untainted by the human experience, you know, that part of us that's all expanding, that's all knowing, Mm. you know, that's the, and it's such a beautiful part of our being, but it's a part of our being that that animates, you Mm. know, this physical body and the personality that we take, and it's a part that animates that. And I really believe that. We have a responsibility to express that in the world. And we do that by doing the things like following our passion. You know, if you want to know whether you're living according to your spirit, see whether you're living, whether you're following your passion, Mm -hmm. whether you're actualizing your dreams. If you're actualizing your dreams, you're following your passion, which means that whatever you do is ignited, is lit up from the inside by that. So I know when I do silver sirens, it's not me. It's not me. I have to physically show up, but it's not me. It's Mm -hmm. that spirit that gets to express itself because I knew when Silver Sirens came through me that it wasn't my idea, it was something else's idea that just took over. So I just go, Oh my God, you know, do I have to do this? I remember that. I remember me saying that yes. you You know, so it's that sense of I think it's that it's that light. It's that energy, it's that life force. That shines through us, mm. and I think sometimes we can ignore it. We can push it down. We can we can numb it by not following our dreams. We can numb it by being in really unfulfilling relationship. We can numb it by being doing work that that absolutely kills our soul and our spirit. We can numb it by surrounding ourselves with people that do not champion us. We can numb it through drugs, alcohol, watching too much TV. There's so many ways we can numb it. We can numb it, numb it, numb it, numb it. Numb it. Mm. But it's always trying to express itself you know and i think the silver silence is a vehicle to remind women and shake them up that this is in them yes. this is in every single one of them yes. and they may be you know, they may think life is over but this is if they tap into that that's when they get the gift that life has just begun mm. it's just begun you mm. know yeah.
0: so beautiful beautiful that's really wonderful thank you thank you so much Given the current climate of today, a bit of a tough question for you, but what is your highest hope for this moment in history?
1: Oh. Ah, so um, I think it was probably about, say, two months ago, I took a week off and I went on retreat with my partner for three days and then I, went, I embarked on a three-day silent retreat. And, um, you know, I was feeling very emotionally... Um, Impacted by what was going on in the world, uh, twenty twenty has been a doozer I was mental I was emotionally impacted by the bushfires and the way that we treat and neglect our planet. My I feel, I feel such a strong connection with the earth and the planet. And, you know, the way we mistreat her and the bushfire for me was just another indicator of how we do that. So my heart was bleeding around that. And then we had the COVID and it really felt like the universe, Mother Nature, just went, that's it. All Mm -hmm. of you humans, I've had enough. Time out. Get to your rooms. So not even just a few of us, (laughs) but all of us were sent to our rooms. You know, all of us. All of us, you know. So then we had that. And then we had the situation with the murder of George Floyd. Mm. And that was just to see that as a black person. We've seen those images so many times. This is not new. Racism is not new for us. We've seen it so many times. And we know that by engaging in it, it makes a lot of our white friends and family uncomfortable. So we keep our mouths shut about Mm. a lot of it. But seeing that again made me realize that something had to change in me in the way that I was around the subject of race. So I took three days to go into silence and I, because normally I would go off to a retreat and do the silence, but I wasn't able to because of COVID. So I created a, a process at home where I just shut everything off. had all my food, didn't leave the house and did three days of silence. And I wanted to meditate on the subjects of compassion, empathy, and courage because those were the things that kept coming up, the themes that kept coming up. Mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to me- meditate on those three things, and what came up for me was just an, the understanding about what it is to be human and what is the challenge that we're being called on right now, and I believe what we need right now is compassion in all its the fullness of its of its meaning, mm-hmm. you know so compassion is being sensitized to another person's suffering or pain with the impulse, the motivation to do something about it, to alleviate that pain. So most of us go, I'm a a person, I'm compassionate, I'm um, I'm an empath. I hear it all the time. I don't see it practiced. Because compassion means that we are motivated to do something about alleviating that person's suffering. You know, so I, what I see is that we talk, about, we talk about values so much. So what my biggest hope for us as humanity is that we place our values way ahead of our comfort because we're so obsessed about keeping everything comfortable and we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to challenge, it's all too hard. We're so invested in that that we are willing to compromise our values for that
0: Mm.
1: and my biggest wish for us is that we place our values way above all of that way above the comfort you know so that we can become better people
0: yeah that's just so beautifully said thank you that's just that's just beautiful thank you so much okay um right (laughs) i've got nothing to add seriously nothing to add I'm just resting in that at the moment. <laughs> so let's talk about Joanne Fedler and her book Undercoming. <laughs> talk a little bit oh, about oh, that. Sorry. Yeah, have you finished reading it?
1: Yes. So I was one of, I think, about six women that were given the manuscript of her book to read, oh. so we could write a review on it. Yep. So I got, you know, a very very early um, copy of that. So it's originally the copy. The book was called *The Sabbatical, uh, but she changed it to the um, unbecoming because that better described the process that she went through and the book is about uh, women just our age in their 50s really just going through just classic uncovering of that midlife transition and what you know the journey in that where she's questioning her marriage, you know the children are now teenage and um, adults they so don't need her, and you know all of those the classic midlife transition story, yeah, and she writes so beautifully, so I just felt deeply deeply honored to be one of the women that was um you know writing a review, so I'll be part of that book, and I'll, my review would be lovely. in that book how yeah. wonderful, yes. oh, no, yeah so she's a fan I love Jo so much, another thing we have in common is we're both mermaids. So I've, I have swim every day in the ocean. Oh, she too. Yeah, she is too. Yeah, she started about 18 months ago. Yeah, I follow you know, her. So yeah. Now, mm. yeah, she's amazing. I love her.
0: Okay, so we talked about Jo. What about other books that you're reading? Tell me some other information that you're reading at the moment.
1: So yes, I'm reading Beautiful Layla Saad, Me and White Supremacy. Yeah. So she does a 21-day, this was a few years ago, 21-day course that she does for mainly for white people. Most of her, or she's a black, she's a black African woman, Kenyan, Kenyan woman, who lived in the UK, born in the UK, then lived in the US. And most of the people that follow her are white women. And um, she wrote a paper, I think about four years ago, which said, um, why I'm no longer talking to spiritual white women around race. And what she pointed out was, you know the the white women that were talking about that were populated spirituality had so much unconscious racism and mm. white supremacy that she just found mm. those spaces very unsafe.
0: Yeah,
1: and when she wrote this, she wrote this, and she was just like, "I'm just going to write this and just tell the truth," and she just expected that people would just be like. Ah you know, freak out. But a lot of those women reached out to her and said to her, Thank you for pointing that out to us. Please explain to us what you meant. Please explain to us what was your lived experience in that space. And because of that, through that exploration, she came up with Me and White Supremacies where she she gives white people a roadmap of doing a racial in a racist or racial inventory. Because a lot of people a lot of white people just go, I'm not racist and leave it at that. Yep. But she gives them opportunity to do a racial inventory where they can step by self in a lot of different areas. They can look at their dormant beliefs mm. and really uncover it. Yes. You know, so it's a beautiful process. It's very gentle. She's very kind and generous in the way that she approaches the subjects and the topic. Sort of covered all my
0: <laughs> questions. Um, yeah, I think we've
1: done really well. We have.
0: Would That's you like to well. add anything else? I'm going to be putting all of your information in my show notes.
1: I'd like to remind you, your beautiful listeners, the Civil Sirens Redefining Aging presents Civil Sirens Redefining a Great New World. So this year, our event is just a few days away on Saturday the 29th. And it's an online event this year so everyone can come. And even though um, we're talking about Silver Sirens as women over 40, it's an inclusive event for all women. I believe very strongly that our role as elders is to mentor and to model for model a really rich, fulfilling life for women in their 20s and 30s. So if you're of that age, you are absolutely welcome. We, you know, we really welcome you to the event. And I know that Susan's going to share the link to buy your ticket. You can buy your ticket. If there's any woman that's listening that um, doesn't have the financial means to, put, to get a ticket... Please send Susan a, a message and I will gladly send you uh, a complimentary ticket because I would funny. love as many women as possible to join.
0: Faith, that's so lovely oh, and my... generous of you. Thank you so much. Having an event does cost money. I know, I used to run events yeah. as well. I don't want
1: money to be a barrier. Exactly.
0: Basically. And so offering please this please come and join is... us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Well, my friend, I will see you on Saturday because I will be there. Most definitely, Online. am <laughs> and from the bottom of my deep blue heart, thank you so much for joining me. It has been an honor and a privilege, and I even in this short hour, I have learnt so much about myself and about yeah. my community, and have grown just a little bit taller.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to have you. And honestly, I was going to say, it's women like you we are continuously supporting civil silence. You are, the, you are. And a cliche, but you are the wing. Beneath my wings, I swear I could not do it if there weren't mm. women like you who resonated with what I'm trying to do. I wouldn't be doing it, so I'm just so grateful. I see your name come up on on things, and I just get so excited, you know. When I get notifications, Susan's bought a ticket, and I just go, "Oh yes, Susan's going to be with us again," you know. So I want you to know that i I see you. I really do mm. see you. You know, absolutely, a hundred percent.
0: Well, now you just yeah. made my day. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my dear.